Welcome to the Roots of Success podcast. We've raised the bar. Tap into the source of your success through real stories from real people. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to level up and get to the root of your success. And now your host, Nate the Great Peterman. Peterman. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Roots of Success podcast. I am your host, Nate the Great, coming at you. And today, okay, today we have a very, very special guest, my man, Kevin Wiseman. How you doing, brother? Nate the Great. (laughs) That is a great name. I'm telling you, man, you got big standards to live up to once you got that one. (laughs) The only thing that rhymes with Kevin is seven. (laughs) Or 11. That's my favorite number, though. Is that right? Absolutely. Lucky seven. Lucky seven. Just don't say it at the crafts table because it's bad luck. It's about you know, if you roll a seven, yeah, you lose. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, you want to say it. I don't want to look at you. Okay, I'll keep setting up. It's true. I just, man, I'm glad we can, you know, set this up, man. I know you're a super busy guy. Glad we were able to to make this happen. And for those of you who might be like, you know, who's Kevin? Give me a little bit of a background. So, so Kevin is he's an American film, television, and stage actor. He has played Marshall Flintman. On the ABC television series Elias. Oh, Elias. Oh, Elias. Yes, yes. JJ okay. Abrams. Yeah. Good old JJ Abrams. Yeah. Before you were born. I think. <laughs> yeah. That was in 2001 to 2006. Yeah, we did oh, that. Oh, shoot. Uh, 107 episodes. Yeah. I think I was in preschool. You were in preschool? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not age appropriate for you, Nate. Oh, yeah. shoot. <laughs> Let's move something. Like, keep moving. We'll get something to your era. Yes, keep going. Keep okay. Going. Yes. Is it, is it Keys or Kyle? Oh, uh, on the HBO show, that was uh, Keyless. Uh, yes, on Stephen okay. Merchant's uh, Hello Ladies uh, HBO show. Yes, wow. Stephen Merchant, who created The Office with Ricky Gervais. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's yeah, legendary. That's yeah. yeah. Okay, and then Ray on the CBS television series Scorpion. And Dr. Maynard on the NBC television series, The Blacklist. Blacklist, yeah. Um, <laughs> Your parents like that. Right, yeah. <laughs> Big fans of that one. Yeah. And then uh, uh, you played Ned Baring. Yeah, yeah, Ned Baring. Ned Baring in season one of David E. Kelly series, Goliath. Yes, that was with uh, Billy Bob Thornton, who oh, uh, goodness, won yeah. a Golden Globe for that performance on Amazon. Oh, yes, that was a great experience. Yeah. And then as well as uh, Dale York's on the Hulu series, Marvel's Runaways. Marvel's Runaways, yeah. The first two seasons are on uh, streaming on Hulu. Wow. And then the third season is, uh, I think they're all coming out at once. They may be doing the two and then the one and one, but I, I what I understand, they're all going to drop oh, on December 13th, season three. And that's based on a comic written by Brian K. Vaughn from around 2003. 2003. And then Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage who created The O.C. and Gossip Girl and Chuck yeah. and many other shows. Um, they adapted it into a series for Marvel and then Hulu produced it. So it's a Hulu original. Okay. I suppose like a lot of shows on Hulu, it's something that you, like Seinfeld or something, you, that it's already aired, then they buy it. Interesting, okay. But this is a Hulu, so Hulu also produces original content. Wow. And this is one of their, Originals, and now that Disney owns Hulu, Marvel series will only, all Marvel entities will only air on Hulu, or Disney Plus, which is a new streaming service that's launching pretty soon. So all the Marvel shows that were on Netflix were removed, and because they don't have the licensing anymore, because Disney owns Marvel, and Disney owns Hulu, Okay. So, if you want to watch Marvel, you have to pay for Hulu. <laughs> but I think you get a month for free. You get a month for free. Okay. So, you just watch it all. <laughs> watch the Runaways and then, don't tell who I said this, and then cancel. <laughs> so, there were only 10 episodes a season, so you can do 30 episodes, uh, Nate. Uh, <laughs> it will take you one full, one and a half days if you don't sleep. That's funny you said that. I do that anyways. With, uh, Are you a binger? You like no, yeah, I which one? Fubo. That's a. Oh yeah. It's like a TV platform. I like to watch the football games and everything. Ah. You do like a week trial, and I make sure before that you know, week hits. I'm like, <laughs> see, most people don't do that. That's how they get you because you're yeah. like, oh, I forgot to cancel. Right, and yeah. that's the marketing tactic behind it. Of course, my goodness. Of course, but Kevin. Obviously, you know you've you've played and, and starred in amazing 
films and, and series and you know of course with the, the basis of the show the roots of success i'd love to to go back with with where you started you know basically a you know maybe it's your childhood growing up to, to how you got to where you're at so man kind of tell us about you know where you're from and, and how you grew up to become the man that you are today i grew up here in los angeles one of the rare few unicorns, <laughs> local natives, yeah. most people like you come to LA to seek some sort of creative Absolutely. Uh, outlet um, or fame and fortune or whatever it is <laughs> that you're interested in. And I grew up actually just over the hill in Encino, which is where, um, who were you just telling me you were interviewing? Oh, TJ Jackson. Yeah, TJ. Yes, he, he, his family's from there. And so, you know, you've been out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. gorgeous. And my father was an attorney here in town. My mother an accountant. My father did represent entertainment and piracy cases, so like mm. Universal Studios. And this was the time in the, in the, in the 1980s where people were pirating films. Okay. Yes. And showing them at their house, and it was getting out of control. And Universal and these other companies, Universal Studios and other companies were trying to crack down on people pirating their material, which now we have streaming and there's so many outlets that I think, you know, with Pirate Bay and things like that, I think people still do it. But at the same time, I think with the streaming platforms, like they've, 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 uh, they've you know, quelled the tide because people don't want to have to go through downloading and all that, I think. But this was kind of the beginning of pirating. So he did represent people in the industry. So I did meet people in the industry, but I was kind of sheltered from it as well. Oh. I didn't, I grew up, I mean, even though I grew up in LA, it was kind of suburban. Mm. Uh, went to um, a private school for elementary school, but I ended up going to a public school, great public schools in LA, junior high and high school. And I really liked playing the drums. I still play the drums uh, and performing as, as an actor at a pretty young age. When I was in fourth grade, I was in um, it was a show called Gilligan's Island. Okay. Yeah, maybe it was yeah, from I think maybe the seventies and eighties, or even earlier. And we did a little. Uh, it was about this group of people who were stranded on an island, but it was ridiculous because it was a sitcom. And okay. People would show up on the island, but and yet they wouldn't leave with them because the idea is that they were stranded. Yeah. Like the Globetrotters showed up one time, and it's like, why don't you just leave with the Globetrotters? It didn't make sense for how they were still stranded week after week. Is what I'm saying. So I played the professor in a, uh, a little skit in, in maybe it was fifth grade, and I just remember the reaction from people was really strong. Yes, interesting. I got a lot of laughs. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I can see that. And uh, I thought, well, this is interesting. This is a way to you know get some attention. <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed storytelling. I enjoyed reading and writing stories. So, and then when I got to junior high, I did some plays as well. I also played drums in the orchestra for the theater. There was a show, Fiddler on the Roof, which is a very famous musical, and I played the drums for that. And, 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 and I really, I really was taken by the performances. This was in seventh grade. There was some, uh, there was a girl I had a crush on in the show as well. As, as I'm sure you can relate to the seventh grade. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just like it was yesterday. Well, it probably was yesterday. That's the weird thing. Um, so I then thought, you know what, this is something I, I, I really like to do, which is plays and, and in the theater. And, and I just loved reading plays. And when I got to high school, at uh, Taft High School out here in Woodland Hills, I was in the, uh, I was also on the, on the golf team. Do you play golf? Oh yeah, I play golf. You look like a golfer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The lean, the lean swing. Oh yeah, yeah. I got the little, little swerve to the swing a little bit. Oh, know? like Jim Furyk at the top, you yeah. like oh, it kind of yeah. moves around. <laughs> yeah, me too, I look like, like outside in. Yeah. Somehow squared it up and I hit it straight, somehow. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Are you left or right? I'm, I'm natural righty. Okay. Yeah, you? I'm left. Oh. It's like that. Yeah, that's what they call it. <laughs> Lefty. So I was on the golf team okay. my freshman year, and I was also in the drama class, uh, which in my freshman year was in the, the, the was in a different period than the golf team. But 
when I got to my sophomore year, they were at the same time. So I had to choose between golf and theater. There were no attractive girls on the golf team. There were no girls on the golf team. Oh, I can imagine. Yes, yeah. there was just a bunch of dudes like us. Especially back then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I thought, you know what? I enjoy plays. There's cute girls in drama. Going to drama. Okay. Yeah. So I retired from golf. I still play recreational. I got you. Um, and there were these competitions in Los Angeles and Southern California called the Drama Theater Association. And you competed with monologues, two-person scenes, group scenes. It was almost like a speech and debate competition. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever did something like that. Right, where nice. you would go to a high school that was hosting, and all the schools would come, and you would perform in your category, whether it was two-person scene, group scene, which was five or six actors, or monologue. And the first year I did it, I did, I did a, a two-person scene, and we, we won, we won first place. And it was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. And it was 40 high schools competing. 40? I think so. I think so. You're competing against a lot of people, like 40 teams. Yeah, especially in this area. I mean, this yeah, all of Southern California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's a, yes, the talent. Yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of offspring of some actors, but at the same time, it's, so, you know, it's just a city. But oh, yes, yeah. there is probably some, <laughs> there were probably some, some child, act, child actors and or children of Okay. So I was just thought, well, maybe I'm okay with this. This is uh, this is something uh, I did. We did a scene from Sweeney Todd, actually. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Dean and Barbara Fleet Street. I really got into it. It seemed to go really well, and I continued to compete throughout my years in high school and do plays in high school, and, and, and seemed to find my niche. And then I went to UCLA theater school, got into the theater program, and um, that was a life-changing experience, met a great group of people who I started a theater company with. And kind of give you the, the, the quick version, but we did many plays throughout the LA area. Um, we won a competition in UCLA that gave us, we won $500 for a play, an original play that we did. We took that money and we started a 501C, which is a nonprofit organization. So we could solicit donations and those people could write them off as tax. Okay, deductions. Yeah. So we hit up all our families, friends, hey, you know, love a donation to start our theater company as we're graduating. And we did well, we were well reviewed, we started to build an audience, we did lesser known works by well known playwrights, so Arthur Miller pieces, Oscar Wilde, very well known writers, Tennessee Williams, and then we also cultivated new plays as well. We did new plays. And this was a time when theater I mean, theater is still thriving, but it was before this was in the mid-90s, you know, before YouTube. Things, this was, the, this was uh, the only way that people could see you. Okay. If, if you didn't already have a film television reel or career. So agents and managers and people were coming out to see shows. And if they heard about something that was good, they, they would go see it. And I was doing a play by Jonathan Mark Sherman called Sophistry, uh, which was about a group of people graduating college and, like, scary abyss that that is. Oh my gosh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of friends in that position now. Definitely, yeah. Trying to figure it out. Right, they don't know what they're going to do and they're just kind of like, oh, you know? Exactly, yeah. and this guy was around that age, he was in his mid-twenties and he wrote this beautiful play and it was done in New York by the Malapart Theater Company, which was Ethan Hawke's company, Steve, yeah. Steve Zahn and some great actors and I played the part that Steve played in LA in this version and it was a very, he was a very kind of He's like a stoner, but really smart and just real gregarious kind of character and went over really well. And one of the actors that we hired, a woman that we hired outside of the, the company, she had her agent there, came up to me after the show and said, you know, I think I can get you on a TV show. Really? And I thought, who says that? That's ridiculous. Right. Like, Why? And I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll work with you. <laughs> Let's give it a shot, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I was, I was doing theater and I wanted to be a theater actor. You know, that was kind of what I wanted to do and tour and regional theater. There's great regional theaters all over the country. I thought, well, all right, all right. You gotta, as you know, you gotta take opportunities where they come. Absolutely. And sure enough, she got, I, I auditioned, uh, I got like the first three things I auditioned for. It was a movie that I did 
was a remake of a Disney movie called uh, A Swiss Family Robinson. It was called Beverly Hills Family Robinson. Sarah Michelle Gellar later went on to play Buffy. Yeah, I got you. Okay. And myself and, and uh, Diane Cannon and a bunch of women shot in Australia. Wow, my goodness. So I'm thinking, this is amazing. They're paying me to go to Australia? Yeah. I go, this is insane. Yeah. You know, I was there for, for six weeks. Holy cow. I know. I had to pay for no living expenses or nothing. No, I was living in a hotel, beautiful hotel, uh, the Hyatt Hotel. Oh, God. Yeah. Filming in the, you know, the, the, the rainforests mm-hmm. and, and by the by the ocean, because I, I played one of the bad guys. Oh, yeah. Coming on a pirate ship. Because, <laughs> you know, they get, they, it's the, the a very famous Disney story about how a family is... Uh, Sconded by uh, pirates, mm-hmm. kind of a modern pirate, and uh, and then I came back and I got I started getting small parts in TV shows like Frasier. Oh, Frasier, yeah, absolutely. Drew Carey show, and Just Shoot Me, which which was with David Spade, just a bunch of '90s sitcoms. My mother was really psyched that I got Frasier. That's it, right? <laughs> yeah. <it's>, oh, yeah. <laughs> And my grandparents are big fans of Frasier. Oh, yeah. yeah. So smart. Yeah, and Kelsey Grammer. Did yeah. you with your grandparents? Oh, yeah. You probably saw my episode. I yeah, played I uh, the painter. <laughs> you remember the painter? Oh, yeah. I don't even know. 1995? 1995, okay. Yes, yeah. yes. Cover walls on. Yes, yes. I'll sign whatever you need me to sign. And then uh, that got me to working on a uh, TV show about the X-Files, which was very popular, Buffy the Vampire Slayer played a recurring character, uh, Glory's minion named Dreg, which was like four and a half hours of makeup, and, yeah. which, was, which was not fun. Um, four and a half hours, nice. Yeah, because it was like this demon. And uh, I mean, it was cool once it was on, but we shot it out in the summertime out in, out in Los Angeles here, and I had to wear like a Benedictine robe. With the latex on my face, and nobody wanted to sit next to me at lunch because it was like disgusting, kind of yeah. demony character. <laughs> I was like, I swear, I'm like not bad looking underneath <laughs> this. Right. I mean, I'm a Brad Pitt, but like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't look like this. <laughs> uh, so then I ended up working on Felicity. Did you did you, did you ever hear Felicity? It was a show about a, a girl, an actress of Carrie Russell, who goes to um, college and uh, kind of her uh, experience in college. Very popular show. Played one of the characters' boyfriends for a few episodes, where I met J.J. Abrams, yeah. who you would know from Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek, and yeah. uh, many, many other projects. And he was doing a new show called Alias, which was starring Jennifer. Well, ended up starring Jennifer Garner okay. as a spy, uh, kind of in over her head, um, which ran for five years on ABC. And I, I got the, I got the job as the kind of cute. I was a Marshall Freeman. I was like the Q in the James Bond series. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. The gadgets, the yeah. weapons, but very nervous and mm-hmm. um, you know socially awkward. Hmm. I kind of created that yeah. character that has then been used quite often in television. The kind of overwhelmed, awkward, smart guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to say I created it, but I did. Right, no, <laughs> and then the people, people, you know, but they say imitation is the finest form of flattery, Nate. So I'm okay that people have stolen my uh, my my performance. Uh, <laughs> not bitter, not bitter. But um, uh, but that's an interesting story. I've told this story a few times, but when I auditioned, so he, I was did Felicity, and they said JJ wants to see you for this new show called Alias, this spot show. And I read the description, and it was guy in his mid 40s and I was 28 at the time uh, a heavy uh, balding with a ponytail and um, a Motley Crue t-shirt and you know I, I have a full head of hair I was and I'm in my mid 40s now so this was good lighting in here but um, so I thought I called my manager and I said hey uh, these are the people that I met during the play. I'm still working with them. Still working with one of them, um, twenty something years later. And uh, I said, you know, I'm not any of these things on this description. Said, Don't worry about it. Just go in. They, you know, they want to meet you or see you. I already met them with Felicity. Right. So I was very relaxed because they didn't think I was going to get it. That's it's a great lesson huh. in life. It, it, if you're not, if you don't really, you got to kind of. 
I mean, I was familiar with the material and I was prepared, but I was relaxed because I thought I walked into the lobby and all I saw was guys in their, or guys in their forties that were heavy with, you know, band t-shirts on. And I'm like, I'm nothing like any of these people right. not getting this job. Yeah. And, uh, but I, so I brought some, some energy and, and, and improvisation and, and ended up getting the job. And it's just, I tell that story to a lot of actors because people never know what they want. You have to show them what they want. You know what I mean? They think they know what they want until they see it. And I'm like, well, that's what we want. Especially in the creative. That makes sense. So um, that was a big job for me. That kind of put me out there in, in, in the industry. Yeah. People already knew who I was at that point. Helped kind of continue things. You know, that ended in 2006, and you know, you just keep on going, keep on trucking, and yeah. been working, working pretty steadily since. So, you know, this. But I do, I do thank JJ for for kind of. Creating this great show, and yeah, we work with incredible actors Victor Garber, Ron Rifkin, and Jennifer Garner, and uh, Carl Lundin, Michael Bartan, Bradley Cooper was on the show for two years. He's doing okay. <laughs> maybe I could Slightly. help him out. You think he needs money? I mean, maybe, you know, you never know that. Should I Venmo him something like $100? <laughs> I think he's doing okay. He's a great guy. He's a very, very nice, nice guy. Um, I'm very happy for his success. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, and he's in it for the right reasons. You know, you meet people. He's a really creative guy. He wants to wants to do things that he's passionate about, which is cool. So that, in a nutshell, is how you know. And then after that, you continue to kind of get jobs based on once you're in the in the game. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. You've almost like been proven to a certain extent. Like, oh, or not only that. Like, oh, he's good to work with, and he's good or he or she i'm not talking about myself necessarily but that's the because I'm, I'm on the dick but no no i'm not i'm just kidding sorry fcc <laughs> that line. no no i'm just saying i i'm joking i'm saying once you're anointed as somebody who has been hired by other people continuously and you're good and you're good to work with and you're prepared you know you, you're kind of in the game at that point there are people that do get some success that are difficult to work with and squander it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And right. then have to kind of climb back up because it's a difficult business. It's difficult to make your days. You have a lot of material to shoot, a lot of people to wrangle. Nobody wants to work with people that aren't easy to work with. You know what I mean? That makes sense. So that is an that is an aspect of it. And I think that's why people want to talk to you. You know, you seem like a nice guy. You're you're yeah, you're, you're, you're a young guy, but you're really driven and, you know, you're, you're, you're focused and that's half the battle, I think. Mm, that's deep. Being prepared and being, and you don't have to be, I would say you don't have to be best friends with everybody at work, on set, but you have to treat people with respect. Right. You know? Yeah, people can feel that energy, like, instantly. Totally. And I, and I won't name any names, but I've seen it time and time again, and a lot of times by younger actors. You get success at a young age, and they just don't understand that you're not the center. It's like a child. Like, you're not the center of the universe. Like, everybody from the guy making the sandwiches to the director has, has a role. And, and, and every role is important. And you're just one of the roles, you know. That said, you, like, you don't have to go out with everybody for drinks afterward. Like, you don't have to do that. Like, just, right. but when you're at work, you know, you're disrespectful. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Greet, greet the janitor. Ask him how his day's going. Of course. You know? That's, of course. You know, we've done that. Sir, man, it's, it's funny, today I was at a Starbucks and I saw this gentleman walking up. It looked like he was getting ready to fill up his, his coffee or something. Mm -hmm. And I saw him, and, I, and I'm that kind of dude, that if I see somebody coming and I know that they're coming into that destination, even if yeah. they're like, so many feet away. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna hold the door open. Yeah. So I saw him coming out. a small town. Uh, yeah. Pennsylvania. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's good. And people, they're, they're just taking it back because he was like, oh, you're gonna hold a door open for a, a guy like me? And I'm like, I told him, I'm like, I absolutely will, sir. He's like, well, thank you so much. I'm like, yeah, you have a great day. You know, and then that instantly I could tell his mood perked up. Yeah. 
And people just want to be respected, you know, appreciated for what they're doing. You're right. It's true. And, and I find that goes a long way to when you're working is, is just a little compliment sometimes. And then people want to work hard for you. You know, if someone's your, your makeup artist or your hairstylist or your wardrobe department or whatever it is, just once in a while, we'll like, hey, you know, appreciate I appreciate what you're doing. I like what you're doing. I, I, I love this specific compliment. I love that, that the way that that actor looks. That jacket's a very cool. Even if you don't, I'm going to work up people aren't the same, but even if you don't necessarily agree, they, but just like they, or find something that you do like is maybe a better way no, than lying. But I'm saying, my mother always said that, you know, you're asking my parents, and my mother still lives in the same house I grew up in. in the casino. Oh my gosh, okay. But my wallpaper is, you know, those sailboat wallpapers are not <laughs> in my room anymore. It's now her fitness room. But okay. The clothes usually just end up on the fit, on the bike. You know what I mean? It's like a, I'm like, Mom, you never use the... Is this a, like a rack for your clothes? <laughs> so I'm going to get to it. As you usually say. But uh, she always said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. I'm going to try to look like that way. You know? it, it's, I mean, it is what you say, but like you can... Tone is very important, you know. And going back to your point of being respectful, yeah, and holding the door, and it's the tone of that gesture, or the tone of you saying "sir" to this guy. Yeah, yeah he probably appreciated that. Right, felt good about himself in that moment. Right. Yeah. So I do believe that, and then those people, in turn, at a, in a workplace, will work harder for you. Mm. You know, and they'll, they'll, because it's a collaboration. Like as an actor, you're not. It's not just me out there, it's my wardrobe, it's my hairstyle for that particular character. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it, there's so many things, the sound has to be good. You have this nice mic here, you gotta wear a sound, how are we gonna structure, where's the pack gonna go, what's, you know, for me, shoes are important for the character, like what shoes am I wearing? I like try a lot of different shoes, yeah. because I, you walk differently with different shoes. It's true. Yeah. And if I'm bang, playing a businessman, or I'm playing a lawyer, Scientist, that's a one kind of shoe, or I'm playing, a, you know, a, a, a bad guy who's <laughs> steal, stolen a bunch of money. You know, you're in different kind of shoes. I don't know, it's weird. But the shoes really. Lawrence Olivier said that once when, and I read his book. He's a very famous actor, and then I was like, oh yeah, that does make sense because you know you feel differently in shoes, right? Oh yeah, you go absolutely. to a wedding, right? Yeah, you're wearing the nice shoes. Yeah, you feel a little, feel better. Yeah, like it's like a little confidence booster. Yeah, guess, you know. Yeah, yeah. Same with like the, you know the appearance and everything too. Like, there's a reason I like to wear watches. I like to wear yeah. watches with big faces, not not to show off. But I just I like this style. That's cool. I noticed that. I like to wear watches too. I usually wear a watch. And my daughter was like, "You should have an Apple Watch." I'm like, I don't want another way for somebody to contact me I'm the same yeah <laughs> like I got it now look at it on my phone yeah you know what I mean? like, like you wait did you get my text I'm like we know you had an Apple Watch right we know you got it I'm like oh no I didn't see it you know? <laughs> I just I like to wear a watch an old school watch yeah it's on the same yeah because I, mean, I mean you already have a, a phone as it is I don't need I know that. I have another gadget here, like the thing, you know, no. some notification going off. I mean, maybe for the for the, the fitness aspect, you can see any steps, but like yeah. you can get a Fitbit, or, you know, or whatever. Just not stress about it that much. But other than that, I mean, I guess it's the weather, and you can make phone calls, or you can attach it to your phone. I, anyway, I like your watch. It's the uh, that's a cool watch. Yeah, that <laughs> is a big face. Wow. Yeah, I try to keep them huge. You feel me? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good conversation started. <laughs> but uh, wow, yeah. glasses <laughs> on here. It's cool. Who makes that? Invicta. Oh yeah, Invicta. Yeah, yeah I got. I have a couple of their watches. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they're not too expensive. I mean they're not like the, the cheapest to me, but this is like hundred fifty bucks. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I'm oh, yeah, yeah. in the middle of the road. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought that they were more. Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice watch. Yeah. So, so Kevin, I'm curious. Yeah. I know you were talking about, you know, being prepared. Mm. I agree, you know, preparation is huge, um, especially within the acting industry, I'm sure. So what if somebody's having a hard time with being prepared? Whether it's Some, another actor that I'm working with, is that what you mean? Or like a listener, yeah. like trying to prepare for an audition? 
So it could be like either one, you know, yeah, either one. What would well, the general principle? For me, preparation is as an actor, not necessarily figuring out how you're gonna do something. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. What I'm saying is you wanna be able to break down that script in a way that you know where your character is at all times because you don't shoot in order. Okay. If you're doing a play, obviously you're telling the story from A to Z or because it's live. Absolutely. Shooting a movie or TV show, it's based on locations, actor schedule, so many things. So let's say we're shooting in this office here okay. and it's throughout the, the, the show. We're in the office five times. We're not going to keep coming back to the office while we're shooting. We're going to shoot all those scenes over a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So this will be the location for, for a few days. Okay. So you have to know, this is when you're working, not the audition, but you have to know where, I mean, I guess it applies to an audition too, like where you, where you are in yes. the context of the story. But especially when you're working, you have to know, okay, what happened before this? What happened after this to the character? Because you might be shooting a last scene first. Interesting. Wow. I did a movie directed by Rob Reiner called Flipped, which is based on a book. And I, I played a, a character with a, a lead girl, her uncle, Madeline Carroll, great young actor. And he was mentally disabled, and this takes place in the 1950s. And so at that time, they put these characters in homes. Not their homes, but like uh, uh, facilities. It was more of a, well, it was more the the way to handle things. Nowadays, there's a lot more care. There's more protocol, doctors. You know, if you you have some sort of mental disability, you can home, you know what I mean? But it's a different era, so the character's living in, a, in, in, in this home. And they come to visit me, and I, I, they, they take me for ice cream, and in this scene of ice cream, I, I, I'm very happy and excited to see everybody, but my ice cream drops. And the character had the emotional capability of a child, even though he was 30 years old. Yeah, 35 years old. So the ice cream drops, and he's supposed to get very, very upset, screaming, Flipping room tables and stuff in the ice cream parlor. It's very awkward for uh, a guy who plays my brother, an actor named Aiden Quinn, and, and Madeline Carroll's character. And that, I show up on set that day. Did my work. I get to, it was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where we shot it. Oh, supposed to be in Have you been there? I haven't. I got friends there, though. Yeah. It's a college town. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's what is uh, Michigan? No, is it University of Michigan State or Michigan State or Michigan State's in East Lansing? Oh, East Lansing, yeah. Michigan then. Yeah, I think yeah. Michigan's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful, oh and it looks like that. They, they, they had there was this old candy shop from the night. You know, they had all the old candies yeah. and everything. So it's supposed to be in the nineteen sixties. Yeah. Like, you know, all the the dipping dots and all that stuff. So we're, but I hadn't met any of these actors before, and uh, I'd met Rob Reiner. Sally and I mean right. Princess Bride and on and on. I mean legend. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, mean, I auditioned for Rob. But I get there and the first scene there was a, they had to switch the scenes. Originally we were gonna do the scene where she comes to see him for the first time and we have a scene and a couple scenes there, so it's a little less intense. It's still a difficult character to play, but the first scene we're doing is in the ice cream shop where I'm freaking out like having a tantrum like a like a like a four-year-old. And 50 extras, you know, all the people in the ice cream shop, the ice cream guy, Rob, Aiden Quinn, he's a very, very respected, well-known actor, playing my brother, Madeline. Here we go. Okay, Kevin, sorry, we had to do this scene first. And I just thought, well, you know, you know you've done the research on this character. I spent a lot of time reading about people who are, are challenged. physically and mentally, and um, I just went for it. You have to. There's no other choice. Right. You have to just go for it. And Aiden Quinn's holding me, consoling me. It was a very emotional scene. I'm screaming, I'm flipping over tables, uh, because for him, it's the biggest, yeah, 
thing that could happen in that day, the, the worst thing that could happen for, for this man. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It has to be a horrible moment. Yeah. And for the for, for Madeline's character to see what her uncle really is, um, you know, as difficult. Oh, yeah, that, that was what this was. Because in the first couple of scenes, oh, you know, well, well, he seems like we were having a great, we, we seem like we're having a great conversation and it's very relatable. And, but then she sees, okay, he, he's having a lot of difficulty. Yeah. So if I wasn't prepared and I hadn't done all the work ahead of time, where is he after those first couple of scenes? I would have been in a lot of trouble mm-hmm. because they could switch things like that. So you always have to be prepared. Trouble in that, I mean, it would have been fine. But I wouldn't have done the work ahead of time. Like, okay, what, what's going on with this guy? Why is he upset? Where is he in the story? Okay, if this is like the middle of his story, but it's a very important moment. Okay, I gotta dive in. Then we're gonna go back the next day and shoot those other scenes when they first show up. Yeah. And okay, he hasn't been upset yet. He hasn't had his, his meltdown yet. Okay, so this is pre-meltdown. So I have to go backwards. See what I'm saying? So you have to be really prepared. Now, with the other thing I was going to say is you want to know your lines. Backwards and forwards. Backwards and forwards, okay. Get them in. Get them in your system so it's there no matter what. But then you want to be in the moment and you want to listen and have a conversation with the other actor. And it's not about the words at that point. It's about the life of the scene. The words aren't the life. The life is the life. The words are just feeding, fueling what you're doing. So I think a lot of actors, younger actors, get into a little bit of trouble because they, and I've seen it with with some actors where they, and I did this as a young actor too, where you kind of lock in how you're going to do it. This is how I'm going to say this. But if somebody else is saying something to you, in a different way, you're, oh, wait a minute, it doesn't make sense if I say it this way. Right. I've made this choice to be angry here, but wait a minute, they're not making me angry. So, and I have to, I have to call an audible, like a football player, because yeah. the defense is different. Right. So you have to be relaxed enough and know the words, so you're not thinking about the words. It's just, oh, I know what I'm going to say, man. It's just what I'm say, but it's been very relaxed right now, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be confrontational in this scene if we were doing a scene or something. You know what I mean? You're not challenging me. In my mind, I thought you were gonna be challenging me here, so I'm gonna be defensive. Right. You always have to have like some sort of action. Right. Absolutely. Doing something, doing something. And the other thing I tell actors is at the end of the scene, you should be able to tell me what the other person was doing in that scene every moment. Nate was uh, had his hands folded. He was uh, looking at me. He uh, went to adjust the microphone. Um, he checked his phone, and then the scene was over. It's not about me thinking about what I'm going to do. It's about me listening and watching the other person because that's going to fuel my behavior as a as a person. Yeah. Right? Does that's, that make sense? That makes complete sense. Yeah. Because a lot of people get so wrapped up in what they're doing. Yeah. But in life, that's not what. We do. We react to the see you're you're not saying anything right now, but you're shaking your head. Right. Like agreeing with me. Yeah. Not not shaking your head. You're saying no, no, of course we don't. Yeah. Because you're listening. Mm-hmm. And so the number one thing you have to do as an actor is, is, is listen. And then don't worry about your lines. If you if you if you say something else and the writer's there and they say, Hey, we'd love we love that, but we'd love for you to do it. Do you mind just doing it as written? Great, yeah. Just trying something great, great. We love that energy. But most of the time, well, you know what, that work that was in your own voice. And I'm not telling people to, right. to, to fire the writer, but I'm just saying, like, if you get the point across because you're so present mm-hmm. and you're listening, I don't, no one's going to be mad at you. Right. I gotcha. It's better than saying the writer's lines in a way that doesn't seem authentic. It's better to be authentic. But somebody like Aaron Sorkin with The West Wing and you know uh, many many other great shows. I, I I haven't worked with Aaron, but I understand he's like you have to say everything exactly. Oh, he's got like a okay. 
So you better be prepared and be able to be relaxed. But most most of the times it's a collaboration. They, they, the writers are okay if you, if you, especially like where I'm in my career, become more established. If I say, hey, you know, it makes a little more sense, I think if I say this, but I usually will have a conversation, a collaboration conversation. I won't just kind of go rogue. And if, you know what I mean? Out of respect. Absolutely. Like, hey, what do you think about this? What about this idea? Because at the end of the day, you have very little amount of time to make yeah, yeah. a great scene that day or a couple of scenes. So it's cloud. Everybody wants to be good, mm. right? Straight up. So no one's going to be mad if you have a suggestion. Okay. About a scene. Within yeah. reason. Yeah. You know? And also not if it's like your one of your first jobs. Your first jobs, okay. <laughs> like, I listened to Kevin on the podcast. He said I could do whatever I wanted. <laughs> what about, I'm curious, Kevin, yeah. for, uh, um, you know, just criticism. Yeah. Cause, How do you handle that? <laughs> yeah. Because being able to to handle criticism, I know for some people, it's it's like the, it just hits their ego and their ego just can't even take it. I mean, I, ha- I, I know some actors. I've been an actor doing a, a play downtown right now, and Ethan Cohen played. You should go see this play. It's called The Play is a Poem. Shoot, what is it? It's happening now. Oh, okay. And they have uh, $20 rush seats at the Mark Taper Forum. It's an 800 seat theater. It's at the Music Center. Yeah, I mean, online they're you know, $80, but right. it's usually not sold out. And you just go down there a half hour before and $20 to go see some great theater. It's called The Play is a Poem. A good friend of mine, a wonderful actor, Joey Slotnick. Sorry, Joe, you're telling me how to turn, but I'm not saying anything negative, except he just doesn't want to read reviews, good or bad. Okay. Doesn't want to know. Wow. It will color his performance if he reads a compliment, and it will make him upset if he, which he doesn't, yeah. if he got something that was negative. Interesting. Now, I do read reviews, and but not like obsessively, but I like to see what people have to say. And it is funny, you could get a hundred great reviews and one bad one, and you don't forget the bad one. Right. Of course. Right. <laughs> You're like, what? Especially when the online thing kind of ha- started happening during Alias. Oh. Like, I remember Bradley Cooper and I, we both would go online. There was this website called Television Without Pity, okay. and people could post comments. And they're like, posting comments? What? Yeah. This was like 2002. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The internet, you know what I mean? And I'm like, what? They're saying things about us? Let's go look. Yeah, let's take a look at that. Yeah. yeah. And then it would be like, Kevin Wiseman is marching with me. Hilarious. Kevin Wiseman, great. Kevin Wiseman, God, he annoys me. And I'm like, why? Yeah. You know, oh, tabletop sure. 549, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> yes. I was like, why? Use a name. Why don't you like me? Right. You know, we can't, we're human. We can't help it. But at the same time, I'm like, well, everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's totally fine. I remember we did a play with my theater company, and the play was fine, but we were we were we were it just didn't quite work as well as we wanted it to. And it was at Gary Marshall Theater, uh, the Falcon Theater. Gary, he was like created all the big TV shows in the seventies, like Happy Days, Leonard Shirley, and all these shows. Uh, Pretty Woman, he directed Pretty Woman with Joey Roberts. He's just a legendary guy. And uh, we got reviewed, and the review, the only thing nice this one reviewer said was. The seats are comfortable at the new theater. Yeah, he did not give it a good review, and so but we put that in our poster for the uh, for the ad. Okay. For the we just we were like, well, we, we got good reviews in other publications, and we you know how you pull lines oh, yeah, for reviews like yeah. fantastic uh, show. <laughs> the seats are comfortable. You know, we were like, hey, why not? That's a good thing. Let's pull that. Right. If I saw that and I was going to go to shows, like, well, I love comfortable seats. <laughs> so you know. I don't try to dwell on reviews, and um, to be honest with you, it's just one person's opinion, and it's not even, the thing about acting is it's like, it's not really about you, like, there's this whole thing about David Mamet, who's a very famous playwright and director, he wrote a book on acting, and it's called The Practical Handbook for the Guidebook for the Actor, his whole thing is, you should read it, it's really interesting, it's very short. And this whole thing is, it's very cut and dry. Like, there's this thing called the popcorn test. If you if you and I go to see a movie, Nate, and I go to the bathroom, and I come back and I say, what happened? 
you don't say to me, that actor was really good. He made some really interesting choices and was emotional. You, you tell me the story. You say, oh, that guy went into the shed and that woman was hiding there, accused him of cheating on her and stabbed him. Yeah. Whatever the story is. Right, absolutely. So as an actor, you're just there to help tell the story. It's not about you. It's about the story. You're few, you're, that's David Mamm's theory, and I do believe that. It's yeah, about... It's yeah, you're just there to like... So if, the, if they're not responding to your performance, a lot of times maybe it's the story. And sometimes you just be a bad actor. But in mm -hmm. that particular performance, or they didn't respond to your, your choice. You know, you're supposed to just make a bold choice and go for it. And sometimes that choice doesn't work. There's legendary actors, Academy Award-winning actors who have done films. It just didn't quite work. It doesn't mean they're a bad actor. They made a choice. The director made a choice. It just, for whatever reason, it didn't quite jive. The tone wasn't right. But that's okay. You're just, you know, it's subjective. You're an artist. You're just trying to do... Something interesting. Absolutely. Better to do that than be boring. Yeah. You don't want to sound dull. And, and everybody goes through it. Like, And I feel like that might be a misperception just within the industry that just because you're somebody like a Leonardo DiCaprio or a Sylvester Stallone or some of the legendary actors yeah, yeah. that every single film that they have done has been perfect. It's not, not at case. all. I mean, Leo is smart. Because he chooses to work, he's in a place where he can, very few people are, yeah. choose who to work for. Scorsese, Spielberg. I mean, these are titans of the industry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he gets to choose. Yeah, Inyaratu, who made, they made the movie, uh, uh, what was the one where he's crawling through the ice and uh, he won the Academy Award for it? I'm like an honor. Oh, God. Man, I know which one. Uh, the, the, the Reverend. The Revenant. The Revenant. Yes. We knew it was something with the Reverend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great uh, 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 Spanish uh, director. He's from Spain. Was he in Yaratu? Where's he from? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. One of your listeners can tell us. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, this guy's a legend, too. So he can choose. You know, I'm a working actor, and I've, I've been very fortunate, but a lot of times I, it's not, I'm like, okay, I think that's going to be good. I hope this TV show or whatever. I mean, The Runaways, Marvel's Runaways, and I'm working on season three, December 13th. Uh, it exceeded my expectations. I didn't know what it was going to be. I'm not a comic book uh, aficionado. I wasn't familiar with the story. But it exceeds my expectations. It's great. If the actors are great, it's great. The opposite of that's happened too. I'm like, this is going to be great. I've had, I've been on shows where you do a pilot. You know what a pilot is? We do the first one, and if the network likes it, they'll pick it up. Oh, okay. For maybe twelve episodes, and then oh, if that goes well, no. they'll do nine more for a full season. Or if it's on cable, they'll just do ten or twelve. Okay. But a lot of times, they'll just do the pilot, and it's like a good little tester. Interesting. Oh yeah, like whatever shows are on now in the fall, there's each network has twenty that they did that didn't, maybe ten that didn't get picked up, didn't make it. Wow, with like great actors. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, but it's like you don't know. You hope for the best. I've I've been on shows, pilots. I've done pilots where they're like, "This is going to be the next Friends, you guys." Oh man. And then you're like, really? Because was Friends canceled after one episode? Because that's what just happened. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's the next Friends. <laughs> you know what I mean? But people, people hope. Absolutely. You know, and you think you're like, this is really funny. You're reading it like this is really great, and then it just doesn't quite work. You know, you're as an actor, you're a piece of a very large tapestry. So like, you can only do your cover. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, do your thing, which is why I like writing and producing as well and like trying to do some other things that you're a little more responsible if it's good or bad you know as an actor you're, you're responsible for your own story and you know that's a big responsibility but there's a lot of other people involved and that's what i was saying with alias it's like that was like a once in a lifetime group of people like all those writers on that show, 
have gone on to be huge. It's like uh, Alex Kurtzman and Bob Orsi, these guys, I mean, look them up, they've written and produced everything. JJ, obviously, I mean, uh, Josh uh, Applebaum and Andre Nemec, I mean, all these names. Uh, the guy who created the uh, runs the black, he didn't create it, but this is one of the executives on the on the blacklist. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, writer on the show. I mean, <laughs> on and on. All the big shows now, they all worked with JJ at one point, either on Alias or Lost or one of these shows. Yeah. Oh yeah, because he has a great ear and eye yeah. for talent. It's like a trend. It kind of you have a team. Like, we're talking sports Patriots. Yeah. They have a system. Yeah, I love sports. JJ yeah. has a system. Totally. It's like, why are the Patriots so good? Yeah. Because you always got that guy coming up. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, wait, that right tackle. You don't really pay attention to it, but he's like the best right tackle in the world. Right. But like most of the average fans, it's like, it's Tom Brady. You're like, well, it's not just Tom Brady. I mean, he's amazing, but it's the right tackle yeah. and the nose guard. It's all those little pieces. And the same thing with TV, like you need a great DP, you need a great photography, you need a great you need great writers, you need great actors, you need so many things. You need the guy that makes the good sandwiches. You know, on the, on the sports uh, topic, um, Dodgers. <laughs> good old Dodgers. They're playing, are they playing now? Or? No, the A's are. The uh, A's are playing yeah, now. Yeah, they're okay. wild card. Tomorrow, they play the Nationals. Nationals beat the Brewers, so. Okay. Dodgers are playing the Nats tomorrow night. <laughs> I'm a big Dodger fan. But like they're the same kind of model. Like they've yeah. been in the World Series last two years, and hopefully they'll make it again. And they've just got like great young players. Like their system is really working right now. So, yeah. You know, I mean, it's insane just how a system can really make or break a team. And to Tom Brady, I know you mentioned him. I don't know. I, I saw this fact today because he went to, to college in Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was a, oh, that's right. Yeah. He was Wolverine. Yeah. So long ago, like he yeah. was like twenty years ago. That guy's like four years old, right? right? He's forty-two. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And uh, he's—I I heard this, and I'm like, my mind was blown. He's been using the same exact shorter pads for Michigan up until today. I saw something. You about saw that, that too? I didn't yeah. read it. I saw something about shoulder pads in Tom Brady. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. You mean the, those shoulder pads are still in good shape? I think they deteriorate. <laughs> I thought so too. What are they made of? It's titanium. <laughs> Dude, they were doing titanium back then. That's yeah. crazy. And you have to think that they've come up with better technology to protect him. That's what you, yeah. But he sticks to what, and, and I saw in the comments, oh, man, those shoulder pads won six Super Bowl rings. <laughs> they really did. I mean, listen, I've never met more superstitious people than athletes. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I believe it. Clayton Kershaw, I think I may be wrong, but I believe he wears the same hat like the whole season. Like you know, a lot of times they'll switch it and they're gonna right. recognize their hat. It's like you know, totally messed up by the end of the year with the sweat. <laughs> like you won't until they win the World Series. Like you would not take that hat off. That's insane. I do that with underwear. Like I just wear the same <laughs> pair of underwear the entire season. I'm shooting the runaways. No, that's not true. <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my goodness. Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Patriots again? Yeah, I mean, I gotta, they're, they're going to need it, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the Chiefs, they're, they're doing good for their money, but let me come you can't bet against somebody that has a system and you have somebody like a Belichick. And I also heard today, um, you know, you have an owner like Kraft who really isn't even too much in it compared to like the coaches. He was too busy getting massages. <laughs> Sorry, oh crap, but no, 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 no. you had to put that in there. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> you can just get a massage, everybody. That's, that's what the, <laughs> but it's interesting when you think about it, though, because, like, what head coach runs an organization besides, like, a... Right, so, you're, yeah, Belichick is kind of the yeah. owner, too, is what you're saying, Absolutely. or the general manager. Yes. He's, like, everything. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Most of the times, like, in baseball, the managers nowadays are kind of just one of the cogs, I feel like, yeah. to the guy, the general manager making all the, the Billy Beans and like the guys making the real calls. You're, they're, the managers are important. They're making like the day-to-day. But I think you're right. Belichick's probably in the meeting of like who to trade for and all that. Yeah. I'm not sure that's the case with managers, most right. managers or coaches, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, same with college football. You think of who's the best college football team? Well, Alabama. Alabama. Yeah. Who's the head coach? Nick Saban. 
Yeah, that guy's he's running. He's running. Oh, yeah. for sure. He's making money. He's just being a college football coach. That's incredible. Yeah, I read something too that like there was good like there's some proposal that athletes are going to be compensated. College athletes. Yep. Yeah, they just uh, signed a bill. Gavin Newsom did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For uh, California. So the, what does that mean exactly? So athletes will be compensated. What, how, like how? Yeah. So college athletes, because LeBron was talking about this. He's like, man, if even in high school, uh, like there's no doubt in my mind that people would have been wearing the number 23 and would have been wearing my jersey. And the amount of money that could have came from that, you know, sponsorship deals and all that, even though LeBron was, you know, straight out of high school, but it was a struggle for his family, his mom and him. They didn't have the money. Even college athletes nowadays that have the talent, the fact that they could get paid for this, that's been a big friend. That's a very good point. Like you yeah. think like, well, what do you mean? LeBron's so wealthy now. What did that money, he didn't need that extra money, but at the time, he did. Because his mother's dragging him around to practices. She probably is having problems at work because she has to miss it to pick her son up. That's a great point. I thought yeah. about it from that perspective. Because you think like, oh, well, LeBron's fine. All right. But yeah. at the time, that's why these guys need to be paid. Absolutely. I mean, just think of the, the amount of people that are in their you know, 50s, 60s that they, they had the talent, but they just... They never made it. Yeah. Oh, so many. Dude, so many actors, too. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm... Do you feel like I'm a good actor, but I've also had some breaks, you know, and uh, you need some breaks in life and a lot of, um, you know, right, like I was saying, meeting the right people at the right time to take you to the next level. And uh, I think it's like that in basketball too. Like there's probably so many, I mean, Hoop Dreams. Did you ever see that documentary, Hoop Dreams? It's a, it's a good one. You should find it on Netflix. And it was probably about 20 years ago, but it's about the street basketball scene. Like the guys that never... That were probably better than half the NBA players. Wow. I mean, I don't know, maybe hyperbole there, but like just good players that either were had drug issues or had just had issues, couldn't get out of their situation to get on the right track. You know, there's it's the same thing with actors and not attributing it to drugs, just like not getting the right situation. It's just never like I just there's a couple of people that I went to college with that I'm like. This guy is insane <laughs> and just never quite made it happen. You know, not to say it won't, but I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's uh, when you're dealing with like creativity or sports, I think it is sort of subjective sometimes, right? Absolutely. Because it's like baseball players, like you don't know how they're going to perform once you get to the show. Like a lot of times they're just taking chances on guys and then somebody takes their opportunity because somebody gets hurt and then like um, uh, uh, Max Muncy on the Dodgers like he was toiling around in the minors and he got a shot at the Dodgers and he just went nuts and then all star and now he's like a big star in the, in the league yeah because sometimes that's like the driving force the fact that okay I'm not really supposed to amount to, to much or that's the percentage. right or it happened later it happened later right yeah at that point, he's like, it's my shot. Literally. Exactly. And he owns that. And then, you know, That's I was going to mention as well, as you were saying about, you know, just think about the amount of actors. And of course, there are so many the athletes that. That's why they say the richest place on earth is a graveyard. So all the hopes, all the dreams that have died. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and that, when I heard that for the first time, Kevin, I'm like, man, and you go to a graveyard, it's so quiet. <laughs> you know? That's when the interview turned horribly south. <laughs> <laughs> I just get really sad. Oh, oh, man. Oh, man. It's so quiet and the dreams have died. Right. Yes, that's true though. It's true. Yeah. I mean, and how many parents have sacrificed for their kids, oh, their dreams for their own kids because they got to work a job or two jobs because mm-hmm. their kid wants to be a, a professional a skater in the Olympics, or you know, I gotta get up at yeah. five a.m. I gotta do the thing. So here's to those people that just did it for their kids. You know what I mean? But you know, at the same time, on the flip side, I will say I do believe the cream rises to the top. I do think that if you are talented, you do. And you persevere, and you can. You think you can't do anything else. 
you work hard at it and you put in those 10,000 hours, yes. you know, and then some, and, and if people who don't know that, it's that, uh, yeah, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, yes, you've got to put 10,000 hours into something before you're even ready to get in the game. And I do think that like with actors, I tell actors, I'm like, look, in Los Angeles, I don't think, or New York or Chicago, I don't think it's that hard to get an opportunity. I really don't. There's always somebody that's going to say, oh, let me get you this audition or let me get you meet this person or you should be in this play or why don't you do this part. Um, and I, even in a student film or I just don't think most people are prepared when they get that opportunity. Athletes too, maybe. Like they get a shot, there's your shot, kid. And they just, whatever the pressure, and by the way, I could never hit a hundred mile hour fastball. I'm not <laughs> saying I could. I have to the same way to be honest. Yeah, yeah no, who cares? No, right. But... I do think that you got to be ready and you have to seize that opportunity and be prepared. And I will say when I was at UCLA, I didn't pursue film television. I just focused on the craft of what I was doing, read and performed, worked on plays, learned, studied. I went to New York and studied uh, for four months at Chocoma Square Theater where I did all day long conservatory style, dance, singing, acting, everything. And um, so when I was, when I had that opportunity and the agent said, hey, I'm going to put you, I think I can get you a thing. And I went and auditioned, I was ready, I was ready and I got it. But if that had happened before all those things, I probably wouldn't have. I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't have been ready. Yeah. And I think a lot of people want it too much too fast. You know, they want it in any business or anything, you know. So I just feel like, calm down. It's okay. Like if you're 22 years old, it's like. You know, just live a life too. Like, have your heart broken. Go out, do stuff. Like, live, be experiencing. So you can bring that to your your thing that you're doing. No, that's, that's powerful. For you too, like you know yeah. what you're doing. You're meeting all these people, and you're right. You're talking to them, and you're learning about yourself in the process. Yeah. But that's the great thing about podcasts too. It's like right. You're just like you hear people break it down, not like on. Fallon or something, which which I like. I like Fallon, but it's a little more hyped. It's, it's kind of hyped up. Exactly, and that's that's exactly why I wanted to to even you know one of the reasons I wanted to start the podcast was to have the audience and the more viewers that I build and the listeners to get an insight on that in depth level that doesn't right. necessarily get shared on the TV. Oh, not at all, and even like with what people are doing on YouTube. Um, I went to college with Jack Black. Uh, okay. Jack Black, yeah. Yeah, very, very talented guy. And I, I actually play in, um, play music with Kyle Gass, who's Jack's the other uh, partner in Tenacious D. So I've known those guys for years. We play golf. And, oh, you know, that's how you get to know people, right? Classic, yeah. Um, but Jack has started this whole YouTube channel, Jablinski Games, which is very popular. And it's really connected him with a younger audience, as well as Jumanji and these other projects he's choosing. But my 11-year-old loves Jablinski Games, loves this YouTube channel. And I, I appreciate that about him about, started out as like a gamer channel, but it's kind of just become more of like a document of his life. But I respect that about him. Like he, he and I've been kind of doing some YouTube stuff too, as, you know, because I kind of was like, hey, that's a great idea. You know, just shorter videos than he's doing. But, um, people want to see you with your family or with, you know, he has his band on tour. They want to see the behind the scenes stuff. We love that kind of stuff. Everybody loves human nature. We love behind the scenes. You know, especially someone like Jack, we've seen so many movies, play so many characters. Well, this is, we get to see him as a person interacting. Yeah, it's just like, right. you know, you hope, well, I mean, Jack's an anomaly, but yes, uh, but yes, of course, yes, yes, just exactly. He has two boys, and he's a great dad, and and uh, uh, I'm just saying he's still a force of nature, even in the YouTube videos. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, I think that's cool about this new kind of you know media, social media that there is another aspect of it. I don't think that it's going to take over like people feared. Right. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a nice compliment. And I know YouTube's huge. 
99. I know there's like people with billions of followers, channels. I, I, I know it's huge. I'm not like that old, but I'm just saying, I, I think also film and television still has its own path. I think there was, remember there was that fear, like it's just gonna be YouTube and TV right. and films going away. Yeah, like we can all exist oh, yeah. at the same time. Mm. And we're in the era of like incredible television shows. On peak TV, and there's so many great shows. So, yeah. I think I think we're okay. I think the actors are okay. Yeah. We're not gonna be replaced <laughs> just yet by the YouTube personalities. Right. <laughs> no, I, I agree. Yeah, I do. But uh, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I just yeah. I'm like, man, we went over an hour. <laughs> How long do you usually go? Uh, 45 to Oh man, minutes. all right, we did it. No, we did it. Let's wrap it up. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So before it's we a good uh, talk. I felt like I was, uh, uh, you know, I had a lot of stories for you. Oh, <laughs> we could go all day, brother. Yeah, we well, I gotta go watch the A's <laughs> game. Yeah. Wrap it up. Wrap so, it up. real quick before yeah. we you know, wrap it up, Kevin, where can the, uh, the viewers, the listeners, where can they, you know, find you and then tell them, you know, what you got, what you're working on right now and stuff? Well, um, like I said, we just wrapped season three of The Runaways. That's going to be on December 13th. Um, so something else I've got coming down the pike, but I, unfortunately I can't talk about it. But check my social media, which is my name, just Kevin Wiseman, on all, all the things, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, and now the YouTube. Oh, YouTube I've been doing some videos with Kyle Gass, a little something called On the Road, and we get out, and uh, it's still in its kind of infancy stage, but we kind of, we were, for instance, we just did one. We were invited to the Ringo Starr, one of the remaining Beatles, um, 40th anniversary of Ringo Starr and his all-star band show. We're friendly with Steve Lukather, one of the guitar players in Ringo. And um, Steve was in the band Toto and, he created, and a bunch of other bands. And so we, it, was, uh, it was just kind of us at this event, heading to the event, backstage, at the event, the wrap of the event. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, again, to our point of like, hey, everybody likes to see the kind of behind the scenes of fun things that are happening with our own kind of humorous in there. Um, so yeah, I've uh, I've got that, and then we're just kind of waiting to see on a season four. It's kind of like being on a team. Like I'm 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 owned by Marvel right now, so I can't almost be traded <laughs> or do anything until we know if. We have another season. <laughs> so I'm in a little bit of a holding pattern. So everybody watch The Runaway so it will be renewed. And if not, we had a good run. <laughs> and I'll go do something else. Right. But um, that's kind of uh, it's kind of where that's at okay. with The Runaways, December 13th. Yeah, December 13th. And then for your social links, oh yeah, I'm going to attach them in the uh, description below. So, so uh, stay tuned. How do you do that? You guys show me how to do that. Do the attachment. Sorry, do your wrap up. Oh, no, you go, bro. No, I'll show you afterwards. I got you. And uh, check Kevin out. As you can tell, he drops you know, immense amounts of, of wisdom. Super grateful for you. And uh, Kevin, I appreciate you. Yeah, man. Sure, nice meeting you, Nate. Thank you. Nate the Great. <laughs> now I've seen why they call you that. All right, we're, we're living up to it, my brother. Thanks for listening to the Roots of Success podcast. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. I really appreciate that, as well as a like and a subscribe. Stay connected between shows by following me on Instagram at NateTheGreat. And remember, guys, success starts here. Keep winning. Nate the Great signing off.